0: I want to welcome you back to the latest episode of the Horror Lab podcast, where we dissect the best in horror movies each and every week. I'm your host, Will, and I'm excited to be with you guys for the next little bit. This is our second official episode. Our first episode was just me talking into the void about my favorite horror movies, top 25 horror movies. I've mentioned it before. I'll probably say it every episode. Most episodes, I'll fly solo. But this week, we have a special guest, and uh, I'm super excited for you guys to meet John. John has the best podcast voice in the game, so just <laughs> just sit back in your seat, give him a listen. You heard the laugh. John, introduce yourself to our crew, and, and uh, we'll roll from there. Hey, what's up,
1: y'all? I'm John, and uh, I'm an associate pastor uh, at City Church in San Antonio. I love horror movies, a lifelong love of horror movies, and got a couple kids, happily married, that whole thing, and they're young enough that they can't watch horror movies with me yet, so I'm making a list. Of all the movies that I'm like, okay, I got to show them this and I'm trying to figure out the order because there's some movies that you can show like in advance. Like, for example, theoretically, Jaws is PG, but it's not PG. No, it's not. And I remember being scared of going in the water. So I'm like, if I'm going to show it to him, I can't do it during the summer while you're at the we're beach. swimming yeah like <laughs> we, we can't do that so i gotta do it in winter but i don't know that they're old enough so anyway uh love horror movies i love podcasting will is like my brother like my brother i told my wife that this morning you're like a lost brother that i found somewhere. <laughs> so we love horror movies we love just talking we could chop it up any any day any time and get into that is the
0: we're recording now, but before we started recording, I think we were we were just shooting the breeze for like thirty minutes, forty minutes, easily, just talking. And I mean, and and the time just sort of evaporates. So, I'm I'm super excited, John. You have you have young kids. Uh, my kids are are uh, teenagers, preteens, and teenagers. And uh, we've I've just recently started watching some scary movies with them. I'm curious to know what's on your list so that I can then take some of those movies and say to my wife, hey, John Pyle says these movies are okay. (laughs) Can we watch these? (laughs) Oh, no. Um, I I don't know if I want that on my head. I don't know if I want your wife to be like, what? Um, I'll leave leave your your name out of it. I'll just say uh, an unverified source (laughs) kind of thing. An Unnamed source has provided me this list. Okay,
1: I think so. I I think the first one that we're gonna do, and here's what I'll say the first one we've done, Mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll tell you two that we've done that have worked Jurassic Park. Okay, that's a horror movie. Yeah, I think so too. Like Jurassic Park is a horror movie and it is very disturbing. See, I remember my lens of it, like watching it as a kid, I was just like, oh yeah, it's an action movie. And then you watch it with your kids and you're like, that first scene with the raptor is scary. Yep. Like, and they're transported and the guy gets caught and it's horrifying. It's like, he's like screaming and there's blood and they're like, put it down. And it ends up being this whole thing. So we watched Jurassic Park. Okay, that's one that's like, okay. I think that's good for your teenagers. Gremlins, again, that's a horror movie, too. One of my Uh, favorites, a good Christmas movie as well. But you have to be careful because there's a like there's no Santa Claus. That's um, Scene. So like if your kids still believe in Santa, don't do Gremlins. I found that out the hard way. Yeah. And currently, my seven year old (laughs) is skeptical of Santa, but my 11 year old is like all in and is like, okay, no, duh, there's a Santa Claus. Come on. (laughs) Like, and so that's a weird vibe. Next one I'm thinking is Tremors. Oh, we've never seen Uh, Tremors. Yeah, Tremors. They've never seen it. Yeah, Tremors is a PG 13, Uh, no weird sex scenes. No um, nudity. The violence isn't really gratuitous because it's mostly underground. Okay. So you're not seeing a lot of like blood splatter and all this. And it's a little ridiculous. The tone is like campy and comedy. Yeah. And so you're not getting these like, you're getting fun thriller, not like thriller. So Tremors is a good one. I mentioned Jaws. I think Jaws is so well done. That you can like let, a, like a, a kid can watch it. There's some jump scares, but it's a very specific. So for the way that my kids are like, what will they have nightmares about? And will they have like, will they think this could happen to them? Sure. Um, And so like, I'm, I don't like the stalkery ones yet because my kids will sure. think there's someone in their bedroom. Uh, but they do. <laughs> sure. they, the, the, my 11 year old is old enough to know that there's not a great white shark under his bed, right? Uh, and so I think that one's good. So that's that's kind of where we're working up to. Okay. Um, they're trying to. My 11 year old's trying to talk me into Megan, the new the new yeah, yeah, yeah. movie because it's PG 13, and I'm like, ah, ooh, I don't know. Uh, but so some
0: PG 13s now are a little on that closer to that R scale than not
1: yeah well and you it's know. all about the tone like to me it's about the tone of like is this like a fun tone or is this going to be a heavy tone that he's going to be all anxious and nervous about yeah for sure
0: that's good so we've been watching probably for the past six weeks we've been watching this this movie series that we found on, on Amazon Prime um, called the Blackwell Ghost ooh and um, I don't know how to describe it so well. Uh, it's it's definitely it's a fun ride. right now there are seven movies. The movies are on the shorter end they're probably an hour to an hour and 15 minutes okay and um, they it's like this riff on paranormal activity but like a bit of a who done it so Ooh. like it's hard to explain yeah if there's two the first two movies are a unit and then movies three through at least seven are a unit. But three through seven reference one and two sort of indirectly. I'll be be honest. The first two or three movies, I wasn't sure if I was watching like a ghost adventures type documentary or if this was just a really well done piece of movie making. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and so we've previewed them. I've previewed them before uh, watching them with the kids. And they're just it's a fun ride. Like there's nothing overtly scary about the movie. Yeah, but there's these little things that happen that you're like, "Huh, wasn't expecting mm. that," you know. And so, yeah. So the Blackwell Ghost, we've been watching those. Um, we've watched. I don't know if you remember this movie from the '80s, The Gate. Oh yeah, with Steven Dorff way back in maybe '87, oh, yeah. '88. I love we watched that movie. That. Oh, it so good. Um, and some, you know, some of the practical effects are were cutting edge for their time, but don't sort of hold up now with CGI and all that. But just these sort of like fun little, you know, 90 minute scares kind of thing. You watch it creeped out, turn it off and you know, you go get McDonald's and you're done. Hmm. So, yeah. So we've been watching, we've been watching those, um, my kids. So my youngest son, who's going to be 11, he loves horror stuff. He loves like scary stuff, ghosts, that kind of stuff. So we have to be really careful what we let him watch because he also is super scared Mm. (laughs) like he loves it but like he's not gonna go up the stairs to go to bed he's gonna ask someone to walk with him to the bathroom or to get a glass of water Totally. so we have to like we have to like spread it out over over weeks you know sometimes multiple viewings to give him some calm (laughs) yes (laughs) Oh, I love it I love it you know you were talking about Jaws I think Jaws was one of those movies that fell in between before there was a PG-13 rating where it was yep. like you went from PG to R. Yep. And it was a that's like a wide gap <laughs> of in the rating
1: huge. system. Huge between huge.
0: Movies. So, man. All right. So, talking with John last week or the week before about recording today's episode. <laughs> I said, Hey man, you want to jump on, on the podcast? He said, yeah, of course. I said, well, you pick the movie. Cause like I, I, that's, that's part of my approach here is I just don't want you to talk with me about movies that I like. Like I want to talk with you about movies that, that you're passionate about that you love. I think it makes the conversation dynamic. And I said, do you have a movie in mind? And he said, Halloween, the original one, 1978 oh, yes. by John Carpenter. And I was, mm. I was enthused cause man, it's, it's in my top five. Yeah. Um and so I remember the first time I I saw it, I watched it. I was a, probably my my son's age, my oldest son's age, yeah. 12, 13 somewhere in there. And I was not ready. for. Mm. And mm. I had I had watched by that point I had already seen The Exorcist. I had seen uh other horror movies like Serpent in the Rainbow, some of those. And um but I was not ready for for Halloween, and, and it took me years to to figure out why I wasn't ready for for the movie. It wasn't so much. We'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So John, let, let's let's do this. We're gonna we're gonna dive in. Um, I say this in every episode. We are not gonna do a scene by scene recap of of the movie. There are spoiler alerts just because uh, we are talking about a movie. So if you've not seen Halloween, one, I'm I'm really sad that you haven't. Yeah. Seen it. Serious. So. My strong encouragement is don't listen to this podcast. Yes. Stop it right now. Stop it here. Run over to your TV when you have some free time, 90 minutes, throw it on, dark room, lights out, Yep. sound up. It is – if you've never seen it, this is one of those movies you can't get it back. You can't get a first viewing back. So make all the things – do all the things you need to do to enjoy the movie. And then come back and listen to us. Um, We'll talk themes and that kind of thing. Um, But as far as uh, what the movie is, go watch it. Well worth it. Yes. Um, All right. John, can you give us a five minute, three to five minute recap summary trailer of what Halloween is?
1: Yes, it's the night he came home. That's it. Right. Oh, I want to do the trailer voice, right? Uh, (laughs) Fifteen years after murdering his sister, unexplicably, Michael Myers escapes from the Smith's Grove Sanitarium. It is truly a template for the slasher film of escaped lunatic stalks, babysitters, in creepy... Uh, dark settings on halloween and that's like that's what it is and yeah that's kind of the summary i think that's pretty accurate uh and and you have a a doctor who's committed to stopping them while the parents and the town
0: don't believe anything is wrong it's interesting that the the parents are mostly absent from the movie now there's a couple here and there yeah, but they're the largely we see the most is uh, not there his dad because he's the sheriff, right? So something uh, you, you mentioned—it's it's sort of the maybe no. arguably the most influential slasher movie. It wasn't the first though, right? I mean, yeah. in a technical sense, you had Psycho, which was which was a bit of a slasher, especially those those opening thirty minutes. Uh, in right. the a few years before that, you had Black Christmas that came out, um, and then you had Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And and while each of those movies was unique in its own right, Halloween was. Yeah,
1: it's the prototype. I mean, in like, a way, it, it was genre. It has stuff that those other movies you know? don't have. Um, and you know, black. A lot of people are like Black Christmas. Like that's one that that is kind of. Oh, that's the pre-Halloween, but it's like Black Christmas is like the Doctor J to Halloween's Michael Jordan. Where it's like you oh, see man, a lot of the elements, <laughs> but it, it doesn't come all together. And there is something about the way that John Carpenter shot it doesn't put with the together. iconic mask. And because for Black Christmas, you really, it's more of a mystery of like, mm-hmm. you don't see the killer. You don't know what that's about. You don't really comprehend it. It leaves you in a lot of guessing. And this one makes it super clear who the killer is. There's no mystery. There's no like, who is it? Well, it's Michael Myers and you see him and he's an active character And I think that's the slasher template. Like you get the person involved. And so, uh, you know, that is huge. And you have the iconic mask and you have just the the creepy popping up and the atmosphere. And so that's part of why I think it's the prototype.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's interesting, too, because when you think of Michael Myers, you think, uh, you know, grown man escaped from, you know, from Smith's Grove's, uh, you know, sanitarium. Right. You have the mask. You have the the sort of iconic walk, this slow, yeah. meandering, plodding walk where he's always just over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. But Halloween opens with Michael Myers at six years old. And I, for a while, I thought, well, you know, it'd be nice if if it would yeah. be nice if the original movie had delved into that that psyche a little bit. I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they sort of left this gap between, you know. Yeah precipitating yep. event at six and then now he's 21 15 years later and he's coming back and they left all of that imagination there right and i'm also glad that they didn't do too much to try and fill in those details in subsequent yeah. movies now we, we could talk about that in a little bit too that halloween isn't just the the movie that defined the genre yeah. it also spawned it's insane. 13? It's created its own Sequels industry. Sequels and remakes like, between them? <laughs> I mean. There are. It is, well,
1: yeah. It's, and, it's true. I think you're absolutely I mean, right in that sometimes you explain the backstory too much and it becomes way too generic. And part uh-huh. of what I think having grown up in the post Halloween, yeah. like having been born by the time there was Halloween one and two and not watching until really there were four, five, like. I think I probably didn't watch my first Halloween movie until there was like a fifth. And so it's like you have all of these movies and then so fifth one? like the mythology gets all weird and tangled. But you watch the you watch the original and you go, there's so yeah. much good stuff in here because and why I think it's a little why it's a masterpiece, in my opinion, is that it's so much more than that. It's so much more than a slasher movie. It's true art and it's a meditation on yeah. fear and fate and evil. And I think someone who, as someone who grew up in the suburbs, there's this creeping sense of everything looks perfect, but everything isn't right here. And so when people kind of espouse the like, oh, let's yeah. go back to the good old days, I think this is such a contrarian, challenging point of view by John Carpenter of going, the evil isn't the commies that are over in Russia. The evil is coming from inside the house, right? The evil is coming from within the suburbs. And there's not this explanation. Yeah. Of like, uh, the, the, one of the reasons I didn't like the Rob Zombie remakes is it's like, oh, he's an abused kid. Like, I, like, and it's like, that makes me have so much more empathy for him. Right. Right because it's like he kind of was created and uh, and unfortunately right. that's real close to how serial killers right. tend to work in real life. Oh, uh, and so it's like that's not interesting to me. Like uh, I right. would rather watch a true crime thing. For that but the idea of the six-year-old stabbing his sister, and you have no idea why. You just see a giant knife, he puts on a like he puts on a mask, and you get this. I mean, first of all, in terms of filmmaking, you get this master tracking shot of and it feels like no edits. And it's like, I'll put this up against any like Goodfellas tracking shot, the West Side story tracking shot that Spielberg just did, the children of men tracking shot. For like sure. this is just masterful you get this whole thing and then you see it's just a child holding a knife and you're like wait what like it totally disorients you because the first time I had watched I remember being a little bit obsessed with it and talking to my mom about it who likes horror movies and at some point I Mm -hmm. made her describe the plot to me and how it ended and so I think I kind of knew that but she didn't do the greatest job of explaining it because how can you how can you picture it? So it threw me through a loop in sure. going,
0: oh, this is a kid, and then all of a sudden we're fifteen years later, and we have no idea what happened. It's it's interesting that that opening scene I think sets the tone for the movie because it it gives you a, a first yep. person point of view. Uh, you know, I mean, it's literally through the eyes of a killer, right? It's he picks up. You see him. The camera yeah. is essentially substituted for his eyes, right? You see him grab, reaching down on the floor, grabbing that mask. And then when he yep. puts the mask on, the camera is seen through the holes of the mask. And so, and you at that point, you still don't know who he is. You still don't know. You assume that this is someone yeah. who's been stalking, uh, you know, Judith Myers from outside, maybe a classmate, maybe a, you know, something like that. And then you find mm-hmm. out that it's this, you know, her brother, it's not just a six year old, but it's a six year old brother, you know, and it, It's, it's fascinating. I think where a lot of movies, they give you that sort of third person point of view. You see the killer by way of shadow or, you know, this sort of dark figure hiding in a corner, Mm -hmm. but the camera's way off of that, you know, that individual, this sort of drew it. I mean, you were there, you were seeing it through his own eyes, you know? Um, You mentioned, and this, I think this is interesting too. You mentioned that one of the effective parts of Halloween mm. is that it it brought terror to the suburbs. I was talking with uh, I, I was recording an episode last night uh, for It Follows, and um, we got we got sort of sidetracked in in talking about Halloween because It Follows it seems like there's yeah. some influence on It Follows from Halloween the the way the character the, the monster moves that kind of thing, and um, I I had made sort of made the remark that. What was so different about about Halloween from so many other slashers, even the ones that came after it, is that you know you watch Friday the Thirteenth and you're going yep. from your safe location to Camp Crystal Lake, yeah, and the monster is already there. Jason is already there waiting for you. You know, you you watch Nightmare on Elm Street and you go to sleep, right. you leave reality to go into your dreams. Well, he's waiting in your dreams, whereas mm-hmm. with Halloween, he's not. You're not going anywhere. You're going home. You're going to your bedroom. You're going to your school. You're with your group of friends. You're with your family members, right? That's right. And he's invading. It's an invading entity that comes from the outside. And it, it leaves you unsettled because it's almost like yeah. you you ask the question, is there no safety? Like where where is there safety? Where's a safe place? And the movie would tell you there is no safe place. Michael Myers could be yep. – everywhere and nowhere he could be everyone and no one you don't know that's who right. he is but he's potentially yeah. everyone you come in well, contact with. right and, and because and of the I mask that's such an effective <laughs> you know, it's part so- and
1: that's part of what the final <laughs> shot really sets up and the final sequence of you you shoot this thing this entity six times falls off a balcony and when you look, he's not there. And to me, almost the most effective acting in the whole movie is Donald Pleasance. He doesn't look entirely surprised. Uh, like there's a little bit of like, what? But yeah. his fear, but also not shock. He's kind of like, of course he's not there. And then it, it cuts to the point of view of him and you hear the breathing and he could be anywhere. And by the way, for a while I lived in South Pasadena where they filmed it. And those alleys are still creepy because of that movie. You're like, is he there? Okay. Like it like, but yeah, but it's this idea of, (laughs) you don't know who it is. You don't know what he's trying to do. There's no like reason of like, oh, well, if we just do this, we'll stop this. And there's a, and there's this sinister presence that you can't escape. Right. And that sinister presence and really like evil, like it feels like it's kind of a meditation of evil and the boogeyman. The boogeyman is a universal theme that every culture has. Every single culture has a boogeyman and it's personified in different ways. And in this case, this feels like a boogeyman for the, you know, boomers – of the 60s, 70s and 80s contextualized and and it's it's so universal because everybody gets it. Everybody gets, hey, I'm in the safest, most remote place. I'm not in yeah. the city, I'm away from crime and it's like, nah, there's evil here too. Uh because it's it's within a person. It's not with a, a person. Uh you know, it's 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 incarnate right in in within us so it gets it gets me fired up to like reflect on the nature of evil and all those things
0: it's uh it's fascinating because throughout the movie you have that that sense of confusion in each of the characters right this is before the act two where the the action in the movie comes in that first act you have this like jamie lee curtis's character laurie strode she she's you know trying to figure out who this person is, right? Yep. Like I think it's a neighbor. I think it was the the old guy sort of spying on me, right? When he's driving down the street and he sort of slows down to look. That's you know, right. The her friends assume it's it's a guy that has a crush on her, right? And so like it it has this these mm-hmm. things that would these are conversations that would be yeah, normal. Like we all have neighbors. We all have you know, like as, as teenagers, yeah. we all had crushes, people that we were interested in that might might've been interested in us. And yet the danger was so subtle. Like they didn't catch on to the fact that, Hey, what you're seeing, who you're seeing is easily the most dangerous thing, yeah. person you're going to well, encounter. All
1: of them. The only person this point who ever life, knows, you know, is Lori and Dr. Loomis, Dr. Loomis knows the whole time, but uh, Annie never knows. Annie yeah. never knows what's happening. Uh, Linda never knows what's happening. Bob never knows what's yeah. happening. They're just out of the blue right.
0: attacked by someone that they don't even know that's following. A thought is like my light bulbs are flashing, as you're saying, because even even within the concept of knowledge there, like you have Loomis and, and Lori who know. What's going on? This guy is dangerous. But mm. they the way they come about that knowledge is very different, right? Loomis knows by way of observation. Yeah. He's he's sort of a a third party looking in, right? He's he's a he's a doctor, he's a psychiatrist who's analyzing a patient, right, in a clinical sense. But for for Lori, you have someone who's experienced who knows her yep. knowledge through experience. She's she's been on the brunt end at this point of what this, you know, what Michael Myers is capable of. And I think there's, there's a meditation there for us as well, that there are times where particularly with good and evil, where if we're not careful, we can sterilize the yeah. conversation to just say, well, we need to stop it. But then when it comes into our house and we've that's, got to deal with it personally, it's a whole different thing. Like, that's, a yeah, whole different thing. that's a whole different thing. Lori is only you know, alerted it's a whole different to conversation. because she's
1: paying attention. <laughs> And she trusts her gut. And so when we hire babysitters, by the way, I use the Lori Strode like evaluation method of like, would our babysitter pay attention enough to protect our kids from Michael Myers? and like because she's not and here's the thing Mm. i think there's a lot of myths around like the sexuality in this movie and like it's punishing teens for premarital sex i don't i don't think it's that at all i and because it also sure the importance of the opening shot is that there was premarital sex in 1963 not just 1978 um and so there wasn't this like morality play around that but anyway uh, like the other teens just assume that they're safe and they pay no attention to their surroundings they they just they don't care lori is keeping an eye on everything and kind of going what the other thing that's universal is that every neighborhood has a ghost house right every neighborhood has the house that that has the creepy house you're not supposed to go to but lori's paying attention to all of this and she's going wait a minute that's not there's a guy looking at me And it's weird. And I'm unsettled by it. And the only reason she gets involved is that, you know, she's trying to figure out what's going on at the other house. And finally, she gets that weird phone call and she trusts her gut to go over there. And she goes, "Ah, there's something not right. And it's observation. That gets her there. To your point, Loomis is like, you know, I spent six years trying to reach him and the rest of the time trying to keep him locked away. Right. And he has that whole speech and like is a Van Helsing kind of character, a Dr. (laughs) Frankenstein kind of character. Um, And Laurie's just paying attention and is kind of intuitive of like, something's not right. With with the they haven't come back. They have. There's a responsibility yeah. to Lori, and so I think I think that is kind of brilliant of being able to yeah. assess the danger and not just assume the safety. Uh, that oh, I'm sh- I'm sure everything's right, but she's kind of like something's oh that's good something's not right, and it's trusting your gut of. And I do think Carpenter as a kind of subversive kind of filmmaker. Um, is going trust your gut like trust your gut because safety can't be assumed even though the whole point of the suburbs is this kind of safety that can be assumed of uh, because they live in it seems like they live in a place where the people yeah. would say when i grew up we didn't even lock our doors and we just did this and there's all these kind of like anachronistic right. things that you see in this small town that we would never do now we, we would never do now and yeah and I think part of Carpenter's point is you like you can't take that yep. for granted because there's evil even there. You don't escape the evil.
0: Well it's right in the it's right in the tagline, right? I mean the night he came home. It yes. obviously assumes that evil is here. You know, it's not just out there, it's not you can't yes. you can't border it off, you can't, you know, it's not on the other side of the train tracks. It's it's a yes. situation where evil Pervades. Yeah. And and you're not attuned to it. Not to
1: go too serious, but for a lot of people, this is our lived experience. um, Like if you were abused growing up or if you experienced trauma growing up, it usually wasn't from an outsider that was like, hey, kid, you want some candy? It was from a family member or a trusted person there. And so this is most people's lived experience. Most people never get stalked by a psychotic boogeyman but a lot of people were confronted by a boogeyman and evil close to home. Yeah, for sure.
0: The premise for, for, for this podcast. And I this is another thing I'll probably say every episode, because I think it's, it's poignant to just even this discussion here is that I, you know, between myself and my brother, my comment was, you know, I I love horror movies, the best horror movies. They make you, Mm. they sort of present this unique opportunity to communicate something. Right. So like, people look at horror and they say, you know, Oh, I don't, I don't like being scared. Whereas I look mm-hmm. at horror and I say, well, the best horror movies are communicating things to us in a very unique way, right? In a very, in your face, yeah. sort of uh, <laughs> maybe graphic way at times, uncomfortable way. And my brother followed that up by saying what he loves about it. And I love, I love this statement that he made horror movies. Mm. They force us to look at things that we would otherwise turn away from. And I think there's, there's something true about that for sure with Halloween that to assume safety, to assume this, well, everything's okay because we live here, right? This is our address and zip code. This is our school and our people. It sort of takes all those things and says, yeah, but not really. And now let's let's look at at what's in front of you here where this evil has come in literally through your front doors into your homes, right? Into your friend groups. And you have to confront it. You can look away, or you can you can you can deal with it. Something yeah. interesting, also. I keep using that word. I got to <laughs> find a, a thesaurus for a different word. So I want to say sometime over the summer, maybe maybe spring, summer, somewhere in there. I read. No. Uh, did you know that there's source material for Halloween, that it's actually a short story? Now I don't know if it's a it's like the the book predicated on the movie, or if it's the other way around. But Curtis Richards wrote. Uh, Halloween, and it's as wow. close to what the movie is as you can find in in writing. Did you also know that there's a director's cut or an extended cut of the original movie with maybe seven or eight minutes of added scenes, the most poignant scene being right before Michael Myers escapes from the asylum, Loomis is pleading his case before. So like yes. in, in the normal movie that we would watch on, on Prime, he comes out of a meeting where he's talking with a, another doctor and and the doctor says, mm-hmm. you know, do you think he's really that, that dangerous? And Loomis does what Loomis does, right? He says what he says in between that scene or right before that scene, Loomis is pleading his case before the, the hospital right. board in a, in sort of a legal way to keep him locked up, right. To give him greater, greater security, that kind of thing. And um, it's denied. And so then you have that, that scene with the doctor and then the escape scene. And so the Mm. the book tracks all of those, gives us all of those. It's interesting to read. The book is super expensive. You had, I had to find like, wow, a cheapo PDF version of it and read it on a Kindle. But the book itself is like 300 bucks because it's been out of print for 50 years. But um, yeah, so Mm. I was saying, let's, let's talk sequels, right? Um, Spurred a thousand sequels, at least 12 or 13 other movies. The most recent trilogy sort of retconned all of those sequels, yep. wiped them all off the table yep. and said, what you have in 2018 is a direct sequel to 1978. All right. So let's talk sequels in general. If you enjoy Halloween, I,
1: I can't imagine being one and done. I can't imagine watching and being like, yeah, I don't want to see or hear anymore about it. And so Halloween two isn't bad, hmm. right? The, the first a traditional sequel like it's not bad it just it loses a lot of what's magical about the first one and you know and and there's a lot made of it of like it's trying to follow the slasher format that kind of friday the 13th set afterwards and a bunch of other movies that there's more blood there's more gore um you know there's more brutality um sure and so it's not it's not bad but it's it's a continuation of the first and that's where we get the oh that's laurie strode's brother um thing and that's a whole like that's a whole thing that i think has pervaded the mythology but if you just watched halloween one that's not the case lori being michael's sister yeah there wasn't even a thought like that wasn't it's a little bit like empire strikes back it was never even um, alluded to like if you just watch the first star wars you wouldn't think luke and leia are siblings but then you get to return of the jedi and you find out they're not they they're siblings and so i would say watch them i kind of have a soft spot for like four five and six I watched the I watched the producers cut of six when we had talked about that back in the fall. Uh, It is better. It is better. Yeah, it's better. And Paul Rudd does his thing. Um, Yeah, yeah. And so like yeah, uh, I I don't care for the Rob Zombie ones. I actually walked out of Halloween two in the theater because not because I was like morally objected. I was just like this isn't good. Um, so there is that. Um, Halloween H2O, very like in the scream era of horror yeah. movies. Like, it's like, hey, that's that's okay. LL Cool J's coming in and doing his thing. That's fine. Um, it's mm-hmm. fine. I like the kind of legacy sequels that we're doing. The 2018, I enjoyed 2018. I was a little confused by the sequel. Uh, and okay. just kind of like eh. and I really did not like the third you I'll watch it again um, oh, but I did not man. Enjoy there man. were a couple things about it so uh, overall I'd say yeah check it out like I I love Jamie Lee I feel like the the reboot kind of got okay, got right it, what it felt like it did is it felt like it took John Carpenter's original intent and kind of took it and what i can say about the new trilogy is whether i like the third one or not it took the original Mm -hmm. intent and carried that on um it just like it took this idea of this you can't explain this this doesn't make any sense and just carried it on and allowed it to do that so i would definitely recommend checking it out unless but unless Mm -hmm. you're like a big horror fan i would say no matter who who you are you can watch halloween 2 If you want, but if you're not a big Halloween fan, I'd go original and then the 2018 version.
0: Okay. So skip, skip all the, uh, so I I think I'm with you there for sure. I liked number two for what it was. Mm -hmm. I I liked the sort of claustrophobia of number two, where it was in a single location, just in the hospital. Yeah. Hospitals tend to be the the way they filmed hospitals back in, in the eighties and really in the eighties. It made hospitals feel scary. So like there's a number of movies that have hospital components to them that are just unsettling. Exorcist 3. Yeah. Which one is it? Jacob's Ladder has a a, – they have these – it just leaves you squirmy, right? So I thought it did a good job there. Mm. Season of the Witch, I think they they tried to expand the Halloween universe, sort of the magical powers thing. Wasn't a huge fan of it. It, It's – it's sort of come back as like this cult following kind of kind of movie. It doesn't yeah, really add I, or take away anything. Numbers four and five with uh, with the yeah. I guess the niece. Yeah, it, it they were fine. I, they're to me they're the slowest of the movies. I think they tried to yeah. move away from Michael Myers the character and more to a plot driven sort of narrative for him. I mean, it, it was fine. I guess um, the one with Paul Rudd yeah. is like. My favorite terrible movie. Like, it doesn't make any sense. They tried to add this cult sort of thing, which I think really actually may have taken away from the mystique of him a little bit. You know, he was this guy with seemingly superhuman, could ingest bullets and not, you know, and still walk around and and chase you down. So the the cult giving him his powers and Mm -hmm. him, it just, it felt off it just it felt like they needed to do something like they needed a story so that's what they did i i did not like the rob zombie movies in fact i've i've not seen halloween 2 his version of halloween 2 um yeah we went to see number one when it came out in like 2007 or 8 whenever it was and we were excited i remember being excited about like oh they're gonna retell the Mm -hmm. story but i felt like it was it was yeah. gratuitous. Where Halloween, the original, wasn't gratuitous. It was. It was just a good, a good movie. This was a little bit yeah. too much on the gore for the sake of gore because yeah. he's a killer and that's what what it should be. I had tempered hopes for the for the recent trilogy. Honestly, sure. When I saw that they were adding a sequel in 2018, I thought, well, okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> like we've I've seen all these movies before, we've been here before. I don't know that I trust it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but then when I, when I found out that they were basically going to do away with everything else that came before it, I thought, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. Cause I'm interested to yeah. see what they, how they start out because the end of the first movie has him gone. He's, he fell off the balcony right. They looked down, he's gone. And then it's end scene like and credits. So where were they going to pick up this second movie? Right. Or this, this sequel, this direct sequel. So I really liked the concept there. Um, right. Him having been imprisoned, separated from the mask. Yeah. I like the concept of the mask providing that sense of power as opposed to this like weird cult thing. You know, I think that was and I think that idea was teased out into the third one where yes. Corey's character picks yes. up the mask. And it, it almost riffs on that idea of, hey, Michael Myers really could be anybody. Right. Including a guy yeah. who just a kid for all yeah. intents and purposes before the tragic event of that third movie was just a normal kid, right? He was a normal guy just going about his life. And then all of a sudden this <clears> thing <throat> happens and sure. He gets a hold of the mask and he becomes this sort of, you know, Michael Myers light 2.0, maybe not 2.0, but so I liked the first yeah. one, 2018 version, because it it picked up, it did it was a good pickup from where the story left off. I did not yeah. like Halloween kills. I didn't like the angle of Tommy's character coming yeah. back and I felt like those were just throwaway characters that they tried tried to utilize for the sake of nostalgia, but it just didn't. Yeah. For me, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring characters back, especially characters that survived the first one, yeah. Well, and I, I feel like they need to be more than just yeah. The third the pro- my problem with sacrifice. the second one is
1: that the third one feels like because they, the they second put up no fight, it was no no fight, no resistance. Like it doesn't. Like it was treading water. It was like we we have a three picture deal, so we got to stretch this story out. Over three For sure. movies, where you got Jamie Lee in the For hospital, sure. you get like she's not even interacting, and it feels like you could skip straight from the first to the third. Right, and you don't you don't lose a lot. And if if the third was it was closer to the second to the third where yeah, it I kind agree. of where the second was going felt like they were going, you know, there's kind of the horror in all of us. There's kind of the evil and in, in the mob and like what we do and how we keep evil alive. Right. And it's like evil dies tonight. Um, and this whole like it was very prescient, though, of the moment because it came out right after the the capital attack. Yeah. Um, And it kind of like it kind of captured a moment where it felt like, you know, what what if we're the evil? Sure. Um, And I I liked that. And I thought that was interesting. But then they like the way that it ends is kind of weird. And they undo it. They do undo so much of it in the third one that it's like it's almost like The Last Jedi and uh, The Rise of Skywalker, where it's like you did some really cool stuff there. But like you didn't follow through. And so it almost feels like it's made by different yep. people. And so I think there's, there's two, it's almost like it branches off into two yeah. different things. Like it's almost like how it was, End it was like very second, abrupt. second movie. And if it's that, to me, it's a lot more interesting and kind of go off the, sh- the offshoot there. So that's kind of where I'm at with those sequels. And if you're a horror movie person, which is probably who you are yep. listening to this podcast, watch them all man just watch them all like I I some agree they were bad and you can fast forward through them but but watch for them for sure
0: yeah i, I agree uh, so i liked i i think i liked the third one maybe it was the yeah the tone of the movie it it felt right it felt like a little bit of a dark comedy more than a movie that was taking itself too seriously what i didn't like about the overall trilogy the
1: mm. new
0: one is it sort of made trauma yeah. a little bit of a caricature. Yes. Almost like it stereotyped what trauma becomes, you know, she becomes this sort of recluse who seemingly has agoraphobia. And I just, you know, as, as someone who yeah. is a counselor and works with trauma all day, I, I don't see those sort of extreme depictions of trauma like that. I'm not saying that, they're not instances of that, and I, I realize Laurie Strode is a character in a larger world. But I, I feel like where the movies had an opportunity to sort of delve into trauma in a in a helpful way and get and provide a a, a narrative on trauma in a helpful way, she ends up in the yes. hospital in the second movie. Yes. In the third movie, they sort of undo all of that with with the heckling yeah. and the and the making. And, and making traumatized people this seemingly, you know, outcast of yeah. society, and like you're not one of us. Like I don't, I I think that was yes. a bad way, and I'm I mean the word bad there. <laughs> it was a bad way to go about getting the third yeah, movie through. So why didn't we
1: meet you Corey know? in the second movie? <laughs> like to me, the third gets a lot better if we meet Corey in the second movie. Could have, and like there's no reason that Corey couldn't have been the boyfriend in the second movie. And like it, that would have been so much more interesting it's so much more interesting because in the throughout what
0: the first one yeah, sets correct. up
1: really well is this idea of what does trauma correct. do to people? And even though Lori Strode is the presumed good guy, her trauma still right. alienated her from her daughter and her granddaughter. And and it's what un unresolved trauma does to our family and the people in our lives and right. those closest to us right that and you isolate yourself and so in a lot of ways it's michael and Lori's story because Lori isn't that different from michael um she's not stalking people and killing people but she's this loner that just kind of stalks through life from the outside looking in she's observing right. her daughter she's observing her granddaughter and she's just watching them and she's not a part of their lives because this whole thing had taken over her life it, it it defined her. She allowed her trauma to define her life and she prepared her daughter. And I thought it was really cool at the end of right. one that her preparation for the trauma actually paid off because the what she was talking about was real. And so her character has some kind of, she gets a little justified of like, this is what I was preparing yep. you for. And then you get to the second movie and it undoes a lot of that. And it's like, it, it would be interesting to have her sure. daughter have a different perspective of just like, you know, what? like yep. you prepared me for this and I'm very thankful, but this isn't mine to carry, but now I'm, I'm ready for it. Let's roll. This is a reality. This is what you prepared me for. Like it just kind yep. of undoes that and goes in a different direction.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, you know, where, where 2018 is sort of this micro view of, of trauma individualized. Here's what 40 years later, her, her story looks like, as, as a, you know, a 50 something year old woman at that point, yes the second one had a chance to explore sort of this macro view of trauma, communal trauma, <laughs> yeah. right? What does community grief look like? What is, and I realize you know, we're, we're, we may be expecting too much from a horror movie here. I get it. But, but this is what, this is where I think some of the best horror movies really yeah. then follow delve into through. those concepts. Like if you're going to, yep. if you're going to toy with the idea, well then, then do it right. Do it well. You know, and there's a lot to be said there, right? There's a lot to be said for communities being torn apart yeah. by by tragic events, by you know, by evil that that sweeps through and then you know disappears as quickly as it came in. Um, there's there's a thousand directions you could go in. Instead, it's still made, and I, I think this was my problem with the second one. Throughout all of the movies, Michael Myers is an antagonist. Mm. He's a villain. In the second one, in Halloween Kills, it felt like they make they made Michael a protagonist, this sort of hero character that you know wipes out the yeah. the, the mob Absolutely. that's out to get him. Like, and, and to me, that's. That's problematic, considering where they went with the first. All right, y'all, so we are wrapping up with this episode. It's it's always fun. The best conversations feel like they happen in five minutes, and then you look down and it's it's an hour. Um, as we as we uh, get ready to close this out, if you're listening, uh, there are a ton of places you can follow us: uh, Facebook at Horror Lab Podcast, Twitter at Horror Lab Pod, Instagram Horror Lab Pod. And email, if you have a a movie suggestion, if you have a question, if you want to throw out, hey, do a secondary episode talking about this, uh, you can email us at horrorlabpod at gmail.com. For those of you who are obviously streaming this on a platform, we are all over the place. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and iHeartRadio click follow, click subscribe, leave us a five-star review. It makes us easier to find in the search bar. And, uh, we are looking forward to joining you guys next week. Ooh. Um, we are going to be talking about, i have a, I'll have a guest on next week. We're going to be talking through shutter Island with Leonardo DiCaprio. And, uh, not maybe a horror movie that you don't necessarily think of, but I watched it recently and it's it's a, it's a solid movie. It's got some really good themes and, and elements there. So thanks for tuning in. John, brother, thanks for joining me. We'll be back with another episode with John. His podcast voice is impeccable. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Take care, guys.